Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online, it's good to have you as well. Uh, We're thankful that you're with us no matter where you are watching from. Uh, Tonight, uh, if you're, before we dive into part four of Ruth, uh, tonight we're going to be old school. And here's what I mean. Some of you remember when you uh, used to go to church on Sunday morning and then you went home and you were just getting started for the day because when I was a little kid, what you would do is you'd go home and you'd eat and then your mom would have to come back for choir practice about four or five o'clock and then there would be an evening service and and if it was a really, really good day for at least for a little kid, there was some type of a dessert fellowship in there somewhere, and that made it all worth it, being at church for the marathon. And so today, we're not quite doing the marathon, but we are going to do uh, a Sunday night worship night, and that is one of our kind of favorite things around here. If you've never been, uh, it's just a time where we have an extended time of worship. We'll have some guided prayer. And basically what that means is somebody will stand up front and just share some things that you can be praying for. And you'll have an opportunity just right there, kind of in your seat to pray, not out loud or anything. Uh, And then afterwards, we're going to have some dessert. And so tonight at 630, I want to encourage you to come. The 49ers don't play till tomorrow night anyway. So, and none of you are Miami Dolphin fans, or probably, some of you are probably Philadelphia Eagles fans, but, but uh, you can check the score in your seat, nobody will judge you. Uh, but tonight, 6.30, bring a dessert with you, bring a friend with you, uh, we're going to have a great time, we'll take communion tonight, uh, it'll be a special time. So, uh, that's tonight. So many of you uh, know, uh, we have, our family, we have, we're kind of in a transition time. And what I mean by that is we have an adult son, and then we have a daughter that's uh, off to college this year, and so she's doing that. Uh, And then we have a 10-year-old daughter named Kate that you'll see running around here. In fact, that little card in front of you that Matt told you to to fill out, if it's not straight, go see Kate later because she puts those in, uh, and she tries to put them in straight. Uh, But... What will happen now that our life's a little different and we don't have quite as much going on with kids going everywhere and going to different sports stuff and we only have one, inevitably we'll have a couple nights home uh, during the week and you know we'll be at home and about 7.30, 8 o'clock, usually some, one of the three of us, either Lori, me, or Kate will say, hey, what do you guys want to watch? And if Kate gets her kind of choice, and she does about 75 to 80% of the time, we're going to watch for the 700th time an episode of Good Luck Charlie. And for those of you that haven't been blessed with this show, uh, make sure you check out Disney Plus because you are missing something. But no, honestly, I rag on it, but it's, it's not a bad show. It's funny. But here's what you're never going to say at the end of a Good Luck Charlie episode. You're never going to say, wow, I did not see that coming. Uh, 
because every one of the shows, just like kind of all the shows in that genre for that age group, are fairly predictable. Yeah, they're funny, and there are some good dad jokes in the mix, and and there's some great stuff in it, and they're pretty family-friendly, and so you can kind of watch it with your kids. But but you're never going to be sitting there on the edge of your seat, like, wondering what, good luck, Char, like, what they're going to do, and, oh, man, I did not see that, and that's just never going to happen. You're going to know at the beginning of the show, as the plot starts to get thick, you're going to know exactly what's going to happen. In fact, you could probably just stop watching it and just explain what the rest of the show is going to be because it's pretty predictable. But once in a while, and maybe you've experienced this, probably not if it's on a Disney Plus show, but once in a while, and you know this, there's a few shows, and they're probably not shows that you, you know, that you're going to find on Disney Plus in the same genre as a Good Luck Charlie, but you've watched some shows, maybe you've watched a movie, you've read a book, where you kind of thought it was going one direction and you were following the plot and you were leaning into it and then all of a sudden something crazy happens and where you thought the movie was going and who you thought the hero was, man, it it changes. And there's not a lot of shows like that. I mean, a lot of shows kind of follow a, a similar plot line. But, but once in a while, you read a book or you watch a movie, and maybe, maybe you, you may be thinking of one even right now where, where you thought it was going one way, and you were leaning into it, and then all of a sudden it catches you by surprise and goes a whole different direction. Like for me, if you've ever watched 24, some of you, you don't know, what it, that's it. 24 and Good Luck Charlie, definitely not in the same genres. Uh, But the very first, if you've ever watched 24, I did not see it coming that Nina was going to be the villain at the beginning, and neither did you if you've watched that show. That was one that caught me off guard, and maybe you've had some like that, where you've gotten caught off guard, you didn't see it coming. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been leaning into a book that basically you could kind of see coming what was happening. It was, it was a, it's a story that, man, there's some, it highlights some really good things. It highlights integrity. It highlights loyalty. It highlights faithfulness. It highlights good works. And, and as you get to the end of the story, you feel like, man, that was a good story. That was, man, there was some romance in there. There was some, some, some really good things made us feel real warm and fuzzy on the inside. And, and I kind of see where this thing's going. And then at the end of the story of Ruth, you realize that the story and the moral and the plot is much bigger than what you saw coming. You, you thought and I thought that it was just a story of how a widow finds love and happily ever after everything's great, and that's part of it. But as we kind of lean into the very end of the story of Ruth today, we're going to find out that the, the thing that the, the direction we thought it was going and what we thought was the big idea of it, there's actually something much bigger at work in the story of Ruth. And if, if you're new to our church, maybe you haven't been here for the last few weeks, the story of Ruth was written by a guy by the name of Samuel. And it was written in the 11th, probably late 11th century. It was written, and it kind of takes place during a time known as the time of the judges. So after Moses and Joshua 
And, and the promised land, if you know biblical history at all, you, the, the Israelites kind of get a promised land that God gives them. There's a, a time period known as the time of the judges where the scriptures say this about the nation of Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And this time period lasted for a while, and God would bring different judges that were basically like leaders of the nation. He brought several of these people during this time period to kind of get Israel out of a tough spot. And it's in the midst of this time of the judges that the story of Ruth takes place. And if you've been following along at all, you know that the story of Ruth, there's a few main characters. There's a lady by the name of Naomi. Naomi was married, and her husband died, and her sons died, and she started the story pretty bitter and angry, and I don't get it, God, why did this happen? And then you have a lady by the name of Ruth, who is one of her daughter-in-laws, who is also a widow, because her husband, Naomi's son, has died. And so about halfway through the story, Naomi, who has lost her husband, Ruth, who has lost her husband, they, they move from Moab, where Ruth is from, where Naomi is living, and they move back home to where Naomi lives and, and kind of grew up, Bethlehem, and, and they move back kind of man, needy, they don't have a lot going for them, neither of them have husbands, they don't have a lot of money, but they go back to Naomi's home with the hope of survival. And it's during this time as they get back onto the ground and, and they kind of start to do life in Bethlehem that Ruth decides to try to be helpful. And she says, hey, I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll work in a field and maybe I can pull together some resources and some food and, and, and maybe that'll kind of help us survive. And so she goes to a field and it's owned by a man by the name of Boaz. And over a, a few days and into a few weeks... You find out that Boaz is a pretty good man. He's a man of integrity. He's a respected man in the area. Uh, he's a man who's probably very wealthy, and he begins to show Ruth tremendous favor. He, he blesses her with, with food and protection, and he allows her to work his field and kind of be part of his normal team. He takes care of her. And while this is going on, Naomi's starting to get a little bit of a clue like, hey, maybe God's doing something bigger than just supplying some food through Boaz. Maybe God is going to allow Ruth and Boaz to get together and basically we'll, happily ever after will take place. And so last week we, we, we kind of watched Naomi coach Ruth a little bit on how to go and basically ask Boaz to marry her. And so she does this. She asked Boaz to be her redeemer, which in this time period meant that he would buy back any land that their family had lost, and he would also marry her and have children as an heir to her dead husband. And so that's kind of what she asked. And here's how it ended last week. It ended with Boaz saying, yes, I will do that, but there's one problem. There's someone in line before me. I'm the second person in line to be your family redeemer, but there's someone else in line before me. And so in order for me to say yes, this guy will have to say no. And that's where we ended last week. 
We pick up in, in chapter 4 of Ruth. If you'll look up on the screen or you can follow along in the app, let's see what happens. It says this. It says, Boaz went to the gate of the town and he sat down there. And so the gate of the town in this kind of lifestyle is the place where you do business. So today it might be the boardroom or the golf course. It's the place business deals are made. It's the place uh, things are agreed upon. It's the, the place where kind of the town leaders all, all kind of hang out. And so Boaz is going to talk to this guy that's in line before him to be the redeemer for Ruth. And he goes to the city gate because that's where this type of thing would take place. And it says, soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took 10 men of the town elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. So what happens is these 10 elders that Boaz has kind of called, he's got the guy, he's got the guy that he wants to talk to has come over. But now what he does is he gathers what would be normal in that time period, about 10 people to kind of be witnesses so that if they make an agreement or anything said, there are witnesses who can say that what they did is right and true and, and kind of vouch for them. And so you see, it's kind of see this thing happening. They're sitting at the city gate. Boaz is about to have a conversation with this guy who's first in line to be the redeemer for Ruth. And you've got these 10 guys around them that are just listening there to be witnesses. And it says this, it says in verse three, he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. So Elimelech was Naomi's husband. And so Naomi is probably in a pretty tough spot financially because she is trying to sell off some of the land that her family owns. So she's probably in a really tough spot and they need some money. So Boaz, he goes on and he says this, he says, I thought I should inform you, buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. You're, you're first in line. If you want to buy back the family land, you do it. You're first in line. But if you do not redeem it, tell me so that I will know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. So he says, hey, if, if, if you're not interested, then I will buy back. I'll buy back this land. I'll buy it from Naomi. He says, I want to redeem The, the guy kind of answers back. Hey, I, I'll redeem it. I, I want to buy it. He answered, I'm in. And so here's what part of Boaz's strategy was. He didn't tell him about the Ruth part yet. So he's like, hey, there's this nice plot of land, and uh, you're the first in line to be the family redeemer, and so man, if you want to buy this land, you're first in line, but if you don't, let me know. It's, it's kind of like the infomercial, if you've ever watched an infomercial, there's more. You know, if you buy within the next 15 minutes, we actually are going to throw in a, a wife too, but he doesn't tell you about the wife at the beginning. He's just getting you excited about, oh, the land, and oh, and this land is great, and da 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 and and. and Oh, yet there's one more thing that I forgot to tell you. And if you'll call in the next 15 minutes, we're going to throw something in there. 
And, and that's kind of what he's doing. He's, he's getting the guy excited. And in this time period, land's like a big deal. So, man, an opportunity to buy land? Let's do it. And then Boaz says, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. Along with the land, buddy, you get to have another wife. And with that wife, you need to have kids in the name of the wife's dead husband. So you're going to marry this lady. She comes with the land. And you're going to have some more kids, and they'll kind of be your kids, but they're actually going to be to perpetuate the family line of Ruth's dead husband. And so you can see the guy, you could, I mean, we don't know what this guy looked like, but you can imagine he's, he's pulling the, the wad of cash out to buy the land, and then he's like, uh, what, oh, you're putting the, putting the money away, he's not, not quite sure. And then he, he says this. The redeemer replied, oh, did I say I could buy the land? Was that, oh, did I, did I say, I can't redeem it myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. He says, I'm out. I got a wife at home. And if I do this, that means it's going to split up the inheritance with my kids. I'll probably end up on the couch for a few weeks. At night, it's just probably not going to go well. So you know what? You go ahead, buddy. It's all yours. I'm not going to redeem it. And it says this, and this is kind of a weird way to make an agreement. And for some of you, this, you would never make a business agreement if this was the way you had to do it. It says this, at an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. And so instead of, so these two guys are there, instead of sign on the dotted line that you are going to give me the right, or let's do a handshake. The dude pulls a sandal off, nasty old sandal, probably some foot fungus in it. And there was an exchange, like uh, he gave that. For some of you that are freaked out by feet, like I said, you would never make a business decision in this time period because basically by me giving you the sandal, it's me giving you the right. It's that public agreement. It's me signing on the dotted line that you are now the one that has the right to buy the land and marry Ruth. So it says this, that so the redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. Here's my sandal. You go for it, buddy. So Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I'm buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Malan, which were her two sons. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malan's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. So Boaz, he's basically, he's saying, all right, guys, you, you see this happening. You, you see what's happening. By this guy giving me his sandal, I'm formally committing before all of you to buy all the land that has been 
divvied out that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, owned. I'm going to buy all their family land back so their family doesn't lose any land. And then I'm also going to take Ruth as my wife. And I'm going to have, we're going to have kids so that her husband's name is not gone. We're going to continue his name on his land. It's a pretty amazing thing the way they used to do this. And so he does this in, in, in this day and age, and, and it should always be this way, but when you made an agreement, like you didn't go back on your agreement, like it wasn't a, hey, if things work out and you know, no, 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 no. I'm agreeing like with my life, I'm making a commitment to do this. This is going to be a sacrifice for me as far as finances, but he was happy to do it. He wanted to do it and he wanted this, this group of elders, kind of the city elders to know I'm fully committed and agreeing to do this before you and before God. And so it says this, and you can tell by the people's response, uh, like how admirable this was that he would do this. It says this, all the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. He, they're basically, you have all these people gathered, and, and they basically say, man, we're, we're praying, and we hope now that you guys have such a huge family that God just blesses you. He says, then, then they say this, may you be powerful in Ephrathah, which is another name for Bethlehem. And your, your name well known in Bethlehem. I mean, basically, man, we, I pray that you would have a big family, that, that your family would be blessed, that your name, which again, in this society, to, to have a name that was respected, a name in the city that had integrity, a name that even when you were gone was remembered for good things. That was so, something they valued so much. And so these town elders are saying, man, this is what we want, what you're doing. It's admirable, and our, our hope and our blessing and our prayer is that you have a huge family and that your name is remembered as respected, a man of integrity. They're, they're, they're praying for big things for them. He says this, may your house become like the house of Perez. So who is Perez? Well, Perez was a guy that kind of started, he was like the first guy in all the people in Bethlehem. So he's kind of the father of all the Bethlehemites. And so it'd be like the, the, first, the first person to, to land in America. Like, hey, man, we, we hope that you're, you're so fruitful and that you're so blessed that, man, you're, the people that follow you are as many as in our city, in our area. And, and he goes on. And, and to us, it's like, okay, these are just names. But to these people, this is like family tree stuff. These are people they know about. And, and so it'd be like, whoever you respect deeply or somebody in our society that, that you admire, it's like them saying, man, I hope the same thing for you. That's what I want for you. That's what you deserve. He says, may your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. We're going to talk about it here in a, a few minutes, but Tamar is Perez's mom. 
And if you think, and maybe, maybe you think this, if you think your story is awkward or messy, this story, read it in Genesis 38. It doesn't get more awkward and it doesn't get more messy. And, and I'll just give you a little hint. So Perez, his dad and granddad are the same person. You can do the math there and figure all that out. It's kind of a weird story that we'll, we'll talk about here in a second. But, but this guy Perez, he's the father of Bethlehemites. But how he came into the world is pretty messed up. And, but yet, because of where he's at in the line of Christ, and, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, he, he's a respected man because he's the father of this area. It goes on and... and uh, the guys go on and it says this in verse 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord granted conception to her and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, remember, remember Naomi? Naomi was, is kind of the, the lady that came to Bethlehem that it was bitter because her husband had died. Her sons had died. Like there wasn't a lot to look forward to in life. There wasn't a lot of hope. She, she even told the people, hey, I, I'm a bitter woman. I'm not sure why God's done this. Now she is seeing God at work. And some of these same women that met her and Ruth when she came back and she said to them, I'm bitter. It hasn't gone well. Now some of these same women see that she has, uh, her, her daughter-in-law has, has had a little baby. And, and the women said to her, blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. And so, hey, Naomi, remember when it was really dark? Remember when you weren't sure what God was doing? Remember when you were bitter? Remember when you questioned God? Remember when you weren't sure what his plan was? Well, Naomi, he didn't leave you hanging. He had a plan the whole time. In the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your bitterness, in the midst of your questions, in the midst of, God, why are you allowing this to happen? I don't understand. This isn't the way it was supposed to play out. God was at work. And Naomi, and now there's this little baby boy that she sees. And these ladies are reminding her, man, Naomi, and God has blessed you. God didn't forget you. When it was dark, God had a plan. Verse 15, the, these ladies are kind of just giving testimony to what this little boy means to her. It says, he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. This little boy is going to take care of you. He's going to help you when you get older. Indeed, and this is a, just a crazy statement that they would say this in this time period. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons and has given birth to him. This, this statement right here has a little bit of emphasis and power maybe in our society. But to, to say this in this time period is crazy. Because to this society, to have a son, it meant protection 
It meant provision. It meant an heir that your name would continue. And then the number seven was the number of completeness. And so basically what these ladies are saying to Naomi is the absolute best that you could ever imagine. The best the world, like this would be the best offering the world could ever make for you. But yet, as good as this would have been, and as good as like the world couldn't offer you anything better than seven sons. But God's plan is better. That God's plan trumps anything the world has to offer. The best the world can offer you, God's plan is better. Ruth is better than seven sons, which you would never say that in this society. But that's where this story takes a turn. Because even at face value, you think, okay, Ruth's probably a pretty special lady, but come on, seven sons compared to one daughter-in-law who has a son? But, but there's more to the story, and we're going to see this as we kind of close up. It says this, and, and some of you grandparents, you, you, you understand this. It says, Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became a mother to him. And so this is, this is special for her. This is, man, I'm going to hang out with him, love him, spoil him. And then when he gets a little cranky, Ruth, come on back. Come on, get your little boy. But, but this is like a blessing. And, and the Naomi, man, this is, this is a lady who just a few months ago was bitter. And why God? And why, you know, there, there was no hope. And now she, she has her grandson on her lap. And life is good. And she sees hope and future. All because of what God's done in her life. And it says this in verse 17. The neighbor women said, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed, which means servant of the Lord. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then if you continue to read, it kind of walks through some of the, the next generations. And it walks through a little bit of the, the family tree. And, and here's the thing. The story of, of Ruth and Boaz, it's a powerful story. There's some romance in the story, but could it be, and I've already kind of referred to this, that it is much bigger than a widow finding love and living happily ever after. So whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're someone that has kind of come to Christ recently, maybe you're investigating faith, or maybe you have like a past and in your mind, you're not even sure if God wants you. No matter where you find yourself, the story of Ruth and the family tree of Ruth should give you hope. It should encourage you. Because the story of Ruth is about much more than uh, integrity and a hardworking lady and a, a, a guy that, that takes care of a family by the name of Boaz and, and all the great morals and the examples that we can see in their lives and how they lived and how they acted. Those are all great things, but there's much more to the story. And you can see that as you look at the family tree. We'll throw up a, a little bit of a little bit of a, a family tree and not, not a full one, but let me walk you through some of the story that's bigger than the story that you see in the family tree. 
So I already mentioned this. So Judah is the father of Perez. He's also the grandfather of Perez. So really crazy, really awkward, like Jerry Springer show just ready to happen. That's what happened here. You can read more about it in Genesis chapter 38. But then you come down here and you look a little bit farther, and we're not going to walk through the whole thing, but you walk down here to a guy by the name of Salmon. You're like, Salmon, or what's his name? So this guy, you know who his wife was? A prostitute named Rahab. You say, oh, Rahab sounds familiar. Is that like the lady that hid the spies? Josh? Yeah, that, yeah, that's the one. She was a prostitute that even, obviously, not, not living a lifestyle that probably pleased God and uh, had some things going on in her life that weren't good. When Israel came to take over the promised land, she helped the spies from Israel. And because of that, she and her family were the only people in her city to survive. Israel took out everybody else. But she survived. And so Boaz's mom was a prostitute. Come down the line a little bit more and have this guy by the name of David. King David was a guy that, uh, man... Had some real high highs and some real low lows in his, his life. Well, well, what you don't see between David and Jesus is 28 generations. Well, the next generation under David is a guy by the name of King Solomon. That was his son. King Solomon is somebody that has written, he wrote some of the scriptures. He wrote most of the Proverbs. Known as the wisest man to ever live. Known as probably the richest man to ever live. But... Solomon's mom was a lady by the name of Bathsheba. You're like, oh, that kind of rings a bell a little bit. Yeah, that's the lady that David committed adultery with and then had her husband murdered. And then 28 generations later, this lady who's probably about 15, 14 years old, a virgin, She's engaged, espoused to be married to a guy by the name of Joseph. And an angel comes to her and says, hey, the savior of the world is going to be in your womb. Supernaturally, the Holy Spirit's going to put a baby in your womb and you are going to be the mother of Jesus, God's son. And as you think about, and that's just part of it. As you think about the family tree of Boaz, of David, the people that were kind of in the line that, that led up to the Savior of the world being born, it, it's interesting and it probably it may catch you off guard. I mean, no matter where you are as it relates to faith, when you realize how much of a train wreck the people in the family line of Christ were, it at first, it might be like, oh, well, that, oh, I didn't know that. Wow. But, but here's the thing. When you think about the family line of Jesus, it should start to make sense a little bit. After the initial, like, oh, wow, there were some crazy people. There were some crazy stories in Jesus' family tree. 
After the initial shock, it should start to make sense if you know anything about the Jesus of the Bible. It should make sense that in his family tree are hopeless, messy people. It should start to make sense. While the story of Ruth obviously reminds us of integrity and unselfishness and faithfulness, more than anything, the story of Ruth points us to Jesus and the good news that Jesus came for people that were in his family tree and people a lot like them, like us. He's like, what do you mean, Chris? Well, as a result of our disobedience, as a result of us choosing our own way, our relationship with God was broken. We were hopeless. Like Naomi, like Ruth, we needed someone to redeem us. We needed someone to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Because we couldn't have a relationship with God because we had broken it because of our sin. And about a thousand years after Ruth left this earth, after her story was over, Jesus, God's son, was born. He came to earth to to make a way for us to have a relationship with God, which had been broken because of sin. If you know anything about Jesus, you know he didn't come here for the people that thought they had it all together. He actually did, but they didn't didn't really accept him. He, He really didn't get along well with the people that were super religious and that thought they didn't need God, but the people that seemed to lean into Jesus were the prostitutes, the lepers, the people on the outside of society, the hopeless, the people that other, the the religious crowd of his day had kind of snubbed their nose to. Those were the people that seemed to lean into Jesus. Those were the people that were on the front row when he got up to talk. And the beautiful thing about the story of Jesus is while Jesus lived on earth, he lived a sinless life. During his 33 years on earth, he never once sinned. He was God. But the scriptures tell us in in Romans chapter 3 that the wages, Romans chapter 6, that the wages of sin is death. So when you think of the word wages, I mean, what do you think about? You think about like pay. You know, I do a job, I get paid. And the scripture tells us that the wages of our sin is death. And you and I are the ones holding the bill with no hope to pay it. But Jesus redeemed us. Jesus paid the price By shedding his blood. Because at the age of 33, Jesus went to a cross. He went to a cross and he was beaten. He was nailed to that cross. A crown of thorns was put on his head. And he bled and died on that cross. Not to pay for his own sin, but to pay for ours. Because someone had to pay for it. Because the wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid for it. He paid for our sin. The bill for our sin had to be paid for to have a relationship with God. And here's the thing. Just like in the story of Ruth, Boaz was willing to buy back the land. 
He was willing to marry Ruth. He, man, he offered like a, a really good story. Like this could be really good. But at the end of the day, Ruth had to say yes. Like Ruth had to like agree. Like yes. And obviously Ruth did. That's why we're sitting here talking about it. But it wasn't going to happen. Like it wasn't going to be forced on Ruth. It was something that she had to agree to. And in the same way, Jesus took our sins on the cross. He paid for them because somebody had to pay for them. And he offers us redemption. He offers us a relationship with God. But in order for us to have that relationship with God, he's not going to force it on us. We have to say yes. And many of you have done that. Some of you watching online, you're like, man, I've already made that decision. But some of you, you've never taken that step. And maybe for you, it's you kind of have in your mind like, hey, one day I'm going to make that. Yeah, yeah, I I get all that, Chris. And you know what? I'm whatever age now. And and you think you're going to live for, you know, a lot longer. And so it's like, yeah, that's that's for sure something I'm going to do in the future. Or or maybe for you, you, you look at your past and you think, you know what? Not really even sure God would want me if he really had a clue on my life and my background. And obviously he does because he's God. And so for you, it's almost like, a, hey, if I could get things cleaned up a little bit first, maybe get some things straight in my life, kind of, kind of pick up some of the broken pieces, then I'm going to make that decision. Yeah, then I'm going to say yes to God. And here's the thing. Both of those excuses are lies that the evil one tells us. Both of those excuses are lies that the evil one tells us to stop us from saying yes to our Redeemer, to a relationship with God. And so as we close the story of Ruth, the big question for all of us is have you said yes? Have you said yes? Yeah, beautiful story of a redeemer and, man, a family tree now that is just incredible. But at the end of the day, Ruth had to say yes. And there's this other story that's, man, in the, we're in the middle of it where Jesus is now offering you redemption. He's offered me redemption. He's offered us a relationship with God that we could not have because of our sin. And he he offered it by giving his life, and not just giving his life, but then raising from the dead. And he holds it out, but it's up to us to say yes. And so the question is, as we close out Ruth, is what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Ruth's great, 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 great grandson who's offering you redemption? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we just begin to close up, we end the story of Ruth and we move on with life. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you would say, hey, Chris, Man, I'm, I'm in that spot that you described where, man, for, for maybe it's a reason that I mentioned, maybe it's another reason, man, you haven't said yes.
And yeah, you know that you've sinned. You know that you've disobeyed God. That's, no one has to tell you that. You know that. You'd admit that. And you understand that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he shed his blood for you, that he rose from the grave, and that he's offering you a chance to have a relationship with God. You understand that. But for whatever reason, you've just chosen to not say yes yet. Maybe it is because you think, oh, I've still got 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Eventually I will. Or maybe you're looking at your life and you're thinking, you know what? Yes, I'm for sure going to do that, but I just got to get a few things cleaned up first. With every head bowed and every eye closed, don't listen to those lies. First of all, you're not guaranteed your next breath. And the second thing is, you know what? If we had to get cleaned up to come to Jesus, none of us would have ever come. Because he didn't come for the cleaned up. He came for the people that were in need and hopeless and enslaved. That's who he came for. And then he takes us and he does the transforming once we have a relationship with God. So if you're here with us this morning or you're watching online and you'd say, Chris, today I want to say yes. I'm, I'm ready to say yes. I've been making excuses, but today I want to say yes. You can do that right, right here where you're at, right where you're watching this. I'm just going to lead us in a, a simple prayer. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online, and, and today's the day that you want to say yes to a relationship with God, I want you to just take the words that I say out loud and you just put them into your own words and you tell, tell God them from your heart to His. Just say something like this to God in your heart. Say, God, I admit to you that I've sinned. I admit to you I've done things my own way. Just tell him. Just tell him. And then say, you know what, God? I believe. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. I believe that. And then just ask, God, come into my life. I want a relationship with you. I want a home in heaven. Just tell him. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and and as I was praying out loud, you were talking to God in your heart. And today you started a relationship with God. We would love to know about that. Maybe you're here and you'd say, you know what, Chris, I wanted to, but man, I, I didn't pray with you, but I want to. Let me, let me go one more time. Dear God, I admit to you I've sinned. Just tell God. He knows. Just tell him. I've disobeyed you. Then just tell him, God, I, I believe. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. And then just invite him. God, I want a relationship with you. I want a home in heaven. I want you in my life. Just tell him. And if you're here or you're watching online and you did that, we'd love to know about it. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc. 
You can also do that if you're here with us this morning. And there's a little decision card that you can fill out. And uh, we'll get that. We'll, we'll text you or call you. Just want to celebrate with you. Make sure you understand your decision. If you're here with us, there's also, if you don't like the online version, you can write in front of you a card that says decision. You can fill that out. You can take it to the next steps table on your way out. And again, we're not going to bug you, but we just want to celebrate with you. We want to make sure you understand your decision. Maybe you're here, and, and probably most of us, you're watching online or you're here, and, and you've made that. You, you may have made that same decision. You made that decision 40 years ago. Maybe you made that decision a few days ago, but you've already said yes to Jesus. So here's my question for you. Who do you know that hasn't? Who do you know that hasn't said yes to Jesus? And does that bother you? Does it bother you that people maybe live in your house that haven't said yes to Jesus? Does that bother you that people you work with every day, that you go to school with every day, that you're on the team with, haven't said yes to Jesus? If it doesn't bother you, I think one of the things that you can do is just ask God, God, make it bother me. Don't let me be okay with that. Just ask God, God, give me a burden for the people I know that don't know you. And then maybe this week, would you just begin to pray for just one of those people? Just pray. I, for me, I pray by name for about 20 people every single day that don't know Jesus. I pray every day by name for those people. Would you do that? Would you just pray by name? God, God, I pray you'd work in their heart that you would draw them into a relationship with you. And then would you look for an opportunity? Maybe it's an opportunity to share a little bit about your story with them. Maybe it's an opportunity to just invite them to come with you to church. But as you pray, would you look for an opportunity to tell them about the good news? God, I pray that you would work in our hearts. I pray if we have a relationship with you, Lord, that we would never be okay. We would never not be bothered by the fact that there are thousands of people around us that don't know you. And God, we're not better than anybody at all. Lord, we're just, we've already started a relationship with you and we just want that for other people. And so, God, I pray that you would burden our hearts and that we would go from thinking about it to doing something about it. In Jesus' name, amen.